Well, last week, we were looking at in his presence. We saw that Moses was in the very presence of God. And that when he came out, his countenance was changed. And he, he, the word says he, he shone. That his face was shining. And that was from being in the presence of God. It was something he didn't know about. He wasn't aware of. But the people made, it, made him aware of it. And from the account in Exodus, we're not quite, uh, it's not quite as clear as it was in Corinthians when Paul retells the story. But what it was was that Moses would go into the presence of God without the veil. And while he was in the presence of God, in the presence of God, this would, uh, the presence of God, the glory of God would shine on his face and his face would come out there glowing. And he would present to the congregation what it was the Lord had said. And then he would put the veil back over until the next time that he would go in. And that was so that the people did not see that the glory that was on his face faded. Now, if, if God didn't want him to do that, he, God could have rebuked him any time that he was in his presence. And certainly maybe his, the, the glow would not have been there uh, if he was doing something wrong. So I had to assume that God was okay with what he was doing because Moses, it seemed, never changed in what he was doing. But as we were applying this, we saw that as Moses, his countenance was changed. And we also ought to come from the presence of God changed. Some things ought to happen. We mentioned it to you last time that just because you pray doesn't mean that you were in his presence. You have to... uh, intentionally go into the presence of God. Just because you say, I'm going to make some requests to God here, doesn't mean that you are in the presence of God. Many Christians go through many a day praying, but not in His presence. If we are in His presence, we should come out of there changed. And if we're not coming out of there changed, then maybe we're not as much in His presence as we think. But we were reading over this scripture here in 2 Corinthians. And for some of you, it was a a new look at the things going on with Moses. I appreciate some of your feedback on that. But I was dancing around and reading this thing because I did not want to touch on something that we we're going to touch on here today. And that was the part that he was um, corresponding this to the veil that was over Israel. And so we'll spend some time on that today and take a look at that. But over, we're going to go back a few more verses in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, Second Corinthians chapter 3. And in verse 7, we entitled this, What Veils Do You Wear? And as we're going through this, I want you to be able to pinpoint, am I wearing a veil? Do I Have I put a veil on myself? Have I put several veils on? What veils do you wear? Here he says in verse 7, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not more not be more glorious? When it says here this ministry of death, it's speaking of the law. And if you want back one verse, in verse 6 it says, Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. And that's what we're supposed to be working on, not on the law side. We're supposed to be working on the, on the spirit side. But let's read verse 7 again. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, referring to the tablets, 
was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. So what he's saying here is that this is the in the Moses era when he brought the law. If getting the law, if getting the the, the written commandments of God, which really, as, as was being brought out in the New Testament, only brings about death. It can't fix you. It can just point out to the fact that you are not in the right place. That's all the law can do. It can point you the way, go over here, get a savior, but it cannot, the law cannot save you. So he's saying, if in receiving the law, the glory was this great upon Moses, and that glory was passing away. The law was not going to be here forever. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So if we are ministering in the light of the Spirit, shouldn't the glory we reflect be greater than the glory that Moses did? Shouldn't there be a change on us that is greater than the outward change that Moses had? Now it says that they could not look steadfastly upon the face of Moses, or steadily. In the uh, New King James it says steadily. In the King James it says steadfastly. Uh, we have the, a, a Greek word there. Atenizo. It means to gaze intently, to fasten or to set one's eyes. To look at anything or as a metaphor, to fix one's mind on a thing. I looked this this word up. This is a compound word. And if you look at the word, listen to the word, atenizo, I was beginning to get a word, an English word from that. So I, I looked up the word. Where does the, the word attend come from? Well, the word attend in English does not come from the Greek. It comes from the Latin. It comes from the Latin word attender. It means to stretch toward and give heed to. Now, the reason I wrote, brought that up and, and bring that to you is because the Greek word atenizo is a compound word as well. And the main word that is in this is the word to stretch. Well, I'm looking at that and saying, what in the world does that mean? How does it mean to fix someone's eyes on something and we build it out of a word to stretch? And the, the prefix on the word is a word to mean union. Well, it's also in the Latin word. And it's the same thing as, as stretch. And so look at it this way. Uh, we'll, we'll do it first in the area of hearing. If you are having a hard time hearing somebody, what do you do? Don't you kind of lean in? If you're having a hard time seeing some something way out there, what do you usually do? Don't you kind of stretch out and look? Yeah, that's where it's coming from. Some of the places where you'll see this in the Bible, Luke chapter 4 and verse 20, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, meaning Jesus. This is after he read the scripture about the anointing being on him, which he read in all the synagogues he went into. They were fixed. This, this word here is the same word that is used. In Acts 1.10, it says, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, the disciples up on the mount when Jesus uh, had risen up. And he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So Jesus is, has ascended 
up into heaven, and they're there looking. They got their eyes fixed on the place where he was. Here's another place where it was was used. And that's in chapter 3 and verse 4. Speaking of the the man they came at at with the at the gate. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look on us. So Peter saw this man, saw that he had faith to receive something, and he fixed his gaze upon him. That's what this word is talking about. It says that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look upon Moses because of the glow, because of the shining, because of the glory of God that was upon him. Now in verse verse 9, it talks about the ministry of condemnation or uh, as the King James put it, how will the, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The law, all the law can do is to condemn us. That's all I can do. Thou shalt not, and as soon as I shout, then I'm condemned. Every time it says, don't do this, and I do it, the law condemns me. It can't fix me. But the Spirit can fix me. And that's where he got into to this part. Let's go on here in verse, do we read verse 9? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So the glory that we walk in, get this, the glory that we walk in is greater than the glory that Moses walked in in the presence of God. Verse 10, For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. So this was made, Moses was made glorious. There was a glory that was shown around every time that God spoke to Moses, every time that, that uh, when, when God gave the law to Moses, there was a glory that shone. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. By comparison, the glory of the Spirit far excels what was the glory of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. For if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Now, if you wonder, why did the glory that was on Moses pass away? Why did it fade away? Why is it that he would come out of that presence of God so glorious, and then over time it would begin to pass away? Because the glory that is the law is passing away. The law was going to pass away. So the glory that was on Moses passed away. The idea is not that you get in the presence of God and after you leave that presence that the glory that is on you will begin to fade. It faded for Moses because the law was passing away. That's in the New Testament. For the law is passing away. We hear in the epistles. The law is passing away. Therefore, the glory that was on Moses was passing away. Now, he, he hid that passing away from the children of Israel because he figured, I'm assuming this, he doesn't ever say this, but if they are disrespecting me enough to keep wanting to come up and kill me when they think the glory of God is on me, how bad is it going to be if they don't see that? 
And I, I can't argue with him if he was thinking that. And God was okay with it, it seemed, because God didn't t- tell him to change. So he kept on going that way. So the glory that was, the glory upon Moses faded because the law would also fade away. Now, a veil, this is the purpose of it, a veil keeps things somewhat or completely hidden from view or changes their appearance. Now, some veils, and the, the picture I have, and I may be wrong on this, but the picture I have of the veil that Moses wore is a veil that was somewhat transparent so that he could see. But there was a veil in the temple that was not transparent. In fact, it was quite thick. So just because you have a veil does not mean it's transparent. It can be a veil that is uh, completely blocking from view or a veil that partially blocks from view. So a veil keeps things somewhat or completely hidden from view or it can also change the appearance. If I have a veil that is transparent and that veil is of a certain color, it will change my perception of what is going on outside. If that veil is a blue color, it will make everything appear more blue than it really is. If it's green, the same way. Whatever the, the color of that, that's what it will be. I, I certainly learned this in my time in photography, that you can go out there and get some really fancy filters. And in fact, if you put enough filters on your lens, you can take a bright sunny day and turn it into a sunset. Relatively easy. It's, it's really not very difficult to do at all. But uh, just because you see a picture doesn't mean you saw what was there. I had, I had purchased a filter and used it on several occasions in which I could take a picture of anything, your house, your car, and make it appear that it was waterfront property. You would think you were on a river or a lake if I took your picture with this particular filter. You could, you, you could uh, accomplish that. I had filters that brought in fog. I had filters that brought in a, a pink or a purple hue. I had a filter that when combined with another one, if I turned the dial, I could turn up the blue or the red or the purple or the pink or whatever color I wanted. I could turn it up and I can turn it down. I had filters that would completely wipe out any reflection in glass or water. These are all relatively simple filters. They weren't complicated ones. But you could put these filters on a camera and completely change what is being, what, what is seen. This is way before the days of Photoshop where you can just edit and move things and, and uh, all the, all the stuff they can do with that now. But you could have this veil and every time, if you have the particular veil on, every time that you look out, this is clouding your vision. This is changing what you see. And that's what he's talking about with the children of Israel. There's a veil over them. Now, veils are not walls. A veil can be quickly removed. If you want to remove a wall in your home, how many know it's not an easy process? Especially if it's a load-bearing wall. That can be a much more heavy (laughs) process. But you can remove a wall. It just will take some time. But a veil, it can drop right away. The veil of the temple when Jesus was crucified was taken down right away. Even though it was a very substantial veil, it was taken down right away. Any veil that we have can be removed and can be removed quickly. Verse 14, But their minds were blinded 
For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So every time that the Old Testament is read for the Jewish saints in Paul's day, he says there's a veil and they can't see some things. Some things that are they're, they're supposed to be able to see that they should be able to see, they can't see because this veil remains over them. And the way that veil is removed is through Jesus Christ. Well, we know that they wouldn't accept Jesus Christ. If you don't accept the way for the veil to be removed, then the veil's going to stay. But it said their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on our heart. Now, he's going to talk about this in just a little bit, but a lot of times we want to blame Satan for blinding us. But is Satan at fault for blinding them? He is not. They gave the opportunity for the blindness by refusing to accept Jesus Christ. That refusal caused them to be blinded to certain things. And when they would hear the Old Testament, they would hear it through this veil. And it blinded their minds. It hardened their minds. Just a reminder, a few weeks ago we went over this this principle. But when I accept what is false as true, I will reject what is true as false. That's just the way that it is. If you accept what is false as true then when truth comes around, I will reject it as being false. You can do this in a the, in the thing with, with diets. If you accept as true that tasty cakes will not impact your diet. <laughs> if you accept that as true, tasty cakes will not impact my diet. Then if someone comes along and says, well, you got to cut those things out, they're hurting you. No, they aren't. I refuse to accept that because I've accepted something else. That's why we have to be careful about what things we accept as true. Because any, any falseness that I accept as true will block me from receiving what is true on that topic, on that thing. I will stand guard against it. I will keep it out of my life and think I am doing great. That's why the devil loves this stuff. He loves selling people on what is false as though it is true because then when truth comes along, they will reject it as false. He doesn't have to do anything. You'll be, he'll, you'll be a guard for him. You will make sure that truth never gets in your life. Because you have bought that this thing is, is false. Or you bought what, what is false as being true. That's why he loves this. He loves deception. You cannot accept false teaching, doctrine, and so forth. And not have it affect your spiritual walk. It will affect the way you walk spiritually. It will affect the way that you think. It will affect the way that you speak to other people. It will affect every aspect of your life. You've got to get rid of the things that are false. And that's really what we're down here doing. We are constantly looking to remove the things that are false. I am in a constant pursuit of the truth. Because I know I still have some false things in me. 
But I need the light of the Word of God to come along and to help, help me out with that. Now, part of fasting and prayer needs to be weeding out what is false. That's part of what fasting and prayer is going to do. It's going to weed out those things that are false. Now, look at this. Remember Jesus in the garden? We talked about him a little, about, a little while ago. Jesus in the garden, he comes to Jesus and comes to God and he says, Not my will, but yours. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours. These are the things that he prayed. We don't know what his will was in this situation because he never told anybody. But apparently there was one way that Jesus thought we could go which was different from the way the Father had said. And he was praying to see if that would be so. Now, was the way that Jesus had, whatever way it was, was it true? That's a little hard to think on that, isn't it? If it was a plan contrary to God's, was it true? I don't know. We don't know what the plan was. But there was something. He was faced with a decision. He's saying, Father, if it's possible, can we go this direction? And apparently the Father said, it's not possible. This is the direction we have to go. And he says, very good. We will accept that. But you see, during this time of prayer, remember he told the disciples, pray that you enter not into temptation. So he's weeding this stuff out now in prayer. Taking care of it. So when he gets out there, he is not contending with, is this something that I should do? He is getting in the presence of God and allowing that presence to change him. So that when he came out, he didn't change back. That's what we have to do. We have to get before the presence of God. In the presence of God, God will tell us, this is the way to go. Now when I come out of there, I need to hang on to it. I need to be set on, this is, this is the way God told me to go. This is what God said to do. This is what God spoke was His will for me to do. And we stay with it. We don't vacillate like the children of Israel did constantly. But their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. That veil could be lifted but it remains unlifted. The will of God, the intention of God is for that veil to be lifted. But they leave it in place because they don't accept Jesus Christ. Now, I put this in your outline. You can write this in if you want. The veil in the wilderness was on their eyes. When Moses put the veil over his face, it was to keep their eyes from seeing the glory that was on Moses fade away. For Moses, it was so they wouldn't see it fade away. For the people, it was to stop seeing the glory. Because Moses would come out from the presence of God, let them see the glory, and then cover it up with a veil because that glory would fade away. But the veil in the wilderness was on their eyes. This veil is on their hearts. This veil is more severe. This veil is, is, is something even stronger. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. 
This is a more severe veil than the other. Verse 16, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is in the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We all like that verse, don't we? But you see, if we do not get in the place of, of liberty, in the place where the Spirit reveals the veils, there is no liberty. The whole context of this is there's a veil. The veil comes in because of the law. And they won't let go of the law. But the Spirit that comes in because of Jesus Christ and salvation, the Spirit comes in and obliterates that veil. Takes that veil out of the way. And then you can see the New Testament, the doctrine of Christ, you can see it clearly. But they have refused to do that. And then he says, the Lord is, is, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If you have bondages in your life, it is because you have not allowed the Spirit of God in that aspect of your life. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If I have a bondage, if I have something that's holding me back, it is because there is a veil in my life that is keeping me from seeing the truth. And I am preserving that veil. I'm not allowing that veil to get away. Now, veils limit our freedom. I can only do so much when I have a veil that limits our freedom. Verse 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. Different translations translate this all kinds of ways. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So, when we walk into a place of being unveiled, but we all, with unveiled face, we have taken the veils and removed them, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, if you have a mirror and that mirror does not reflect the image that you're looking at, how many of you are going to replace that mirror? You're going to get rid of that mirror. If that mirror doesn't show what, you, what you're looking for, if it's uh, gotten old and there's a lot of places where the, the, the mirror part is coming off and you can't quite get the detail out of the, the thing that you want, um, then you would do that. Now, you know, guys, we don't need a mirror with a whole lot of detail. All we're basically looking to do is, is the collar right? Is the tie right? Or is the hair okay? Bang, we're off. That's it. But I know, you know, that I've, I've watched the, the TV and I see them selling the commercials with the real specialized mirrors. And this is for the women. We, we men don't, we don't need those specialized mirrors. When I'm out there shaving, if I miss something, tough. I mean, I really don't care. But you got these, these mirrors are lighted, you know, and they just stick them on the, the, the mirror in the bathroom. It comes out further so you can get real close to it. And it's all round. It's right there. It just helps you see your face. And then you can get in there and apply. If you're doing makeup, whatever it is that you're doing, you can get right in there and you can see all the stuff that you want to do. We guys, we don't care about that. 
But if you if you have that mirror and it's not working, it's not doing what it, what it wants, and it's it's not showing you the things you're trying to deal with, you get rid of it. You get yourself another mirror. That mirror is not helping me. Never I think of mirrors. I, I how many of all like that show Monk. Monk was a I like Monk. Monk was a fun show. One of the first episodes, it may have been the very first episode, I think actually it was, um, Monk comes into the room and he sees the, the guy who's the head of the department, I don't, I don't know what their names are, I haven't been too long as I see it, but the, the guy who heads up the whole, whole department and he, uh, they're coming in, they're trying to evaluate the crime scene and so he just makes a statement, I'm sorry about you and Trudy, or Trudy, Trudy was his wife, Trudy, you and whoever his wife was. And he said, what do you mean? Well, you obviously had a fight. How do you know that I had a fight? And he said, well, he said, uh, he said, first of all, he says, you missed the spot shaving. Your wife would have caught that. <laughs> and he said, secondly, you have a coffee cup from the hotel that you stayed at because you didn't stay at home. And I think there's one or two other things that he said. And the captain, he's just all frustrated. He says, oh, just get, get on with the case. <laughs> he was able to, to figure all that stuff out because um, the captain didn't care that much when he was looking in the mirror whether he fixed everything or not. He just kind of went on. Women tend to fix those details a little bit more than, um, than the guys do. But you can still, you know, guy or gal, you can still appreciate it. The mirror's got to show you certain things to help you out. But when we turn to the Lord, some things ought to change. We ought to get to a place with an unveiled face. We ought to behold. See, this is talking about someone with an unveiled face. It's not talking about looking at a at something dimly. We're looking at, this is a reflection. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now I pulled out a couple of other translations I wanted to read for you. This comes from the New Living Translation. You can follow along the New King James and, and look at the differences. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is in the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Here's how Kenneth Weiss puts it. Now as for us, we all with uncovered face, reflecting as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are reflecting the glory of the Lord. Are having our outward expression changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another according as this change of expression proceeds from the Lord. The Spirit, this outward expression coming from and being truly representative of our Lord. The idea is to get the veil removed to see the image clearly that we would reflect the very image of God in the same way that Moses was reflecting the glory of God in his face from being in the presence of God. But Moses shown his skin shone. His skin was bright with the presence of God. But God has shed His Spirit in you. And He shines not on your face, but on your heart. So that it changes you on the inside. 
Well, go back to verse 18. Miss this part. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now we look at that and we all say, oh, I can't wait for that day. I'm changing to glory. How many ever waiting for that day? You're changing to glory. Glory to God. You can't wait for that day. You get changed into glory. Here's the thing. He's not telling you that you are changed from misery to glory. He's telling you you change from glory to glory, which means down here on this earth, there ought to be some glory. You ought to be walking in some glory because you're going to be changed from glory to glory. glory. Stop settling on that fact that I'm just going to be here miserable. I'm just going to be here and sin just going to dominate me and, and I'm just going to be worried and anxious and fearful and fretful and all these different things. No, you are being changed into the image of God now here on this earth. And when you get to that place where God is ready to transform you into another state of glory, you are already in a state of glory. And God's going to take you from that place of glory into a place even more glorious. But stop thinking that everything has to be miserable down here. That you can never overcome. You certainly can. Because God has shown this on your heart. He has shown the glory of God on your heart. Moses only had it shown on his face. But God has shown it on your heart. And it will change you into a place of glory. Your days of misery were before you got born again, before you came to Christ. It should be no longer. Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? (laughs) the ministry of taking the glory of God and reflecting it to the world. That's the ministry. That ministry of taking what is the glory of God and they see it reflect off of us to the world. We are the mirrors. But I got to get into the presence of God in order to reflect the image you have to be in its presence. You can buy that fancy little mirror off of the TV that shows you how to fix everything on your face that you need to fix. But if you don't stand in front of it, it won't do any good. It cannot reflect an image that's not there. You have to stand in front of that mirror so that it sees your image and reflects it. I've got to get into the presence of God so that the world can see the reflection of His image in me. And if all they see is somebody who's angry, fretful, fearful, cussing up a storm, all the other things we could probably list, if that's what they see, then that's what they think is reflecting of the image of God. But see, you have this ministry. We all have this ministry. Every single person. No matter what calling you might think is on your life, This is something that's that's there. Therefore, since we have this ministry, this ministry of reflecting the glory of God. You wake up in the morning, I'm here to reflect the glory of God. Whatever it is that we do. Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Always keep in mind, folks, God had mercy on us. If God had mercy on us, we better have it on other people. If God's 
idea is mercy, why are we going out there presenting judgment all the time? We're not reflecting the, the, the image of God by doing that. We reflect the image of God by showing mercy. Because God more often shows mercy than He shows judgment. Too many believers too often show judgment, not mercy. That's reflecting a wrong, a wrong image. Get in the presence of God. Get the right image. Verse 2, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, craftiness, this is being creative with how you present what is false. That's what craftiness is. We're going to take something that is false and present it in such a way that it looks like it's true. Now, here's one of the ways that the news media does this and, you know, political candidates, they do it. And I didn't, I didn't spend any time listening to the Democratic National Convention. I won't waste my time. If that offends you, just understand this. I probably won't be listening to the Republican National Convention either. I do not consider myself a Republican nor a Democrat. I consider myself a Christian and a conservative one at that. Whoever lines up with what I believe is the one I'll pick and the one I'll vote for. I don't care what comes after their name, whether it's a D, an R, or an I, or anything else. What I care about is what they stand for. And I'm not going to vote for somebody just because they're of a party, a certain party. I'm going to vote for them because they deserve the vote. Now, sometimes you're given a choice between two. Well, I don't like either of those two, so I won't pick one. That's wrong. If you do that, then you are responsible for all the evil that the evil or one picked does when they bring it in. And if you think what's going on over in California, closing churches, locking them up, you get somebody like Newsom into the presidency, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to try and make it nationwide. They're going to try and make it go all the way around. Well, they got away with it over here. This state got away with closing churches over here. Let's go out there and close the churches. Because the churches are what spur people on into the light of the gospel. If you want to operate in darkness, you've got to get rid of the light. But I heard, um, I heard a, a statement that was made, and uh, Joe is not the only one who makes this statement. The press has been making this for a number of years now. And I'm not trying to say this to defend uh, President Trump. President Trump says some things. I don't like the things that he says. He's not a president that I, I, uh, I don't hang on his words. If he has a speech, I generally don't listen. I'll get the highlights from, from people because his speech doesn't inspire me. There aren't too many politicians out there whose speech inspire me. Reagan's probably the last one I remember. His speech would, would, ins, would inspire me. But uh, there are not too many others. Those are the ones I could listen to easier than others. But uh, he made this, this statement, and they all, the press goes back to this, and they all go back, if you remember when, when President Trump was running, and he made, a, there was down in, uh, I believe it was Car Carolinas, and he made this statement here. Here's a statement he made, and you can fact check this all you want to. Go back and don't just read what people wrote about it. Go back and listen to the speech. You tell me if I'm wrong. Listen to the actual speech that everyone's trying to pick apart. In the actual speech, he said there are good people on both sides. And what the press had done from there was they said he was saying there's good people on the sides of the white supremacist. That's not what he said at all. 
He even came out afterwards and clarified it. I did not say that. And he condemned those white supremacists. In every way he possibly could, he condemned them. What he said, and he said it in the speech. You have to take what he said and extract it from the context in order to get what Joe was saying. But they're not good. He did not say there were good people on either side of the white supremacists and the others. What you had was a he showed up at a, um, a demonstration, a protest. It was at one of the statues of General, of General Lee. And there are some people who wanted to remove the statue and there are some people who wanted to preserve it. Those were the two sides. He simply said there are good people on those people who want to remove the statue and there are good people on those who want to keep the statue. He wasn't even talking about the small number of white supremacists that had shown up. They were not even in the conversation. But of course, they glommed onto that. Now, it's been cleared up. And you can go back and hear the actual audio and, and fix all that. And still, for four years, we've heard nothing but people do this. And then Joe gets up there in his speech and throws that out. Now, that's not the only one that I know that, that he had in there. I don't listen to people who twist truth. I don't, I don't need to listen to people who twist truth. If you're going to be out there twisting the truth, I'll shut you down. Because I do not need to hear what is false. Because if I allow what is false to get into me, then what is true I will reject. Jesus' teaching on this was, you got to be careful if you get got a whole lot of leaven in you. No, he didn't say it that way, did he? He said, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. There are times that what is false can be compartmentalized and it just affects a certain aspect of my life. But it can also grow and keep on spreading. And we have to be careful of that. I've mentioned to you many times that there are different teachers that are in the body of Christ and I know they have a little leaven in them. But so far they've compartmentalized it and it's just in a certain area. You know, there's, there's tumors. There's ones that are malignant. And those that are benign, the ones that are benign are compartmental. They're, they're, they're in a compartment. They're all, they're all in, intact. You can just go in there and remove it. But there's other ones that have tentacles that go all through the body. That's what they call a malignant one. They can't get it all. And so once they operate and they take out the, the tumor, then all the roots that they couldn't get, they grow into other tumors or they do other damage. And that's what they call malignant or, or benign. And so uh, Kenneth Wiest. I love Kenneth Wiest. But I know he has a veil over his eyes. He has a veil over his eyes about healing. That healing is for today. He has a veil over his eyes about the spiritual gifts. And when I read his, his writings, I know when he gets on those two topics, he will leave the Greek and go after his own doctrine because he has a veil. Well, I know that about it. But I can still look at all these other areas. Now, if I begin to see those other areas or those two areas affect the other things that he would do, then we're, uh, we're cautious ab about that. We used to listen to a guy on the way to Ramah who um, hates charismatics. But he came on the radio then. He's a great Bible teacher, but he hates charismatics. And he hates many things that have to do with their doctrine. But if you get him off of those areas, he's a wonderful Bible teacher. So we would listen to him on that. And he would get off on those areas where he starts ripping charismatics or, or ripping people of faith. And uh, ah, we just laugh it off and go. Because we understand there's a veil there. If I have, have a veil over my eyes, I allow that veil to continue, then it will slant me in, in what I'm doing. Now, well, we'll get into that in a little bit here. Don't need to get into that now. 
But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or being creative with how you present what is false. That's what they do. You got a guy who's going to sell you a house that he knows is a bad house. He's being crafty in how he he uh, presents the good things of the house. Nor handling the word of God deceitfully. There are people who will take the word of God and handle it deceitfully. They don't spend the time to learn what the word was saying. They don't spend the time to learn the context. They just see a verse and they run off with it. And we have to make sure that we don't handle the word of God deceitfully. If you have anything that you believe and you have scripture on it, but there's also certain scriptures that give you problems, you probably don't have the whole truth. And you probably shouldn't be teaching what you're teaching on the thing. Don't, don't handle it deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We have to commend ourselves to the truth. We have to be sold out for the truth. I want the truth whether it hurts, whether I don't like it, whether it bothers me. I want the truth. Tell me what is the truth so that I can, I can go on and not have a lie. Now when it says here, handling the word of God deceitfully, it is the Greek word dolao. It means to ensnare or handle, to ensnare or handle deceitfully. To ensnare. The whole purpose of this is to lead you off into an area to get you caught in a trap. And many people are caught in traps. They are ensnared because they have been given doctrines and they did not spot them as false. Verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Does this mean that everyone who has a veil on their life is perishing? No. It means those who have a veil that prevents them from seeing the gospel is perishing. If I put a veil on me that it prevents me from seeing that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, I am perishing. But I could have other veils in my life that keep me from seeing other things. But I, I saw the gospel. Well, I'm saved. But he's speaking here about if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. If you can't see this gospel, then you're perishing. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now the God of this age has blinded them. He's made them unable to to see, but they opened the door. They first off decided to disbelieve or to believe what is false. They disbelieve what is true, but they believed what was false. That gave the opportunity for the devil to come in and to blind them. They don't see it. He has blinded them who do not believe lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now you can use that verse, Brother Hagin, to teach us about that verse, how you could pray for people that are unsaved. You can pray, take authority over the God of this world who is blinding those people from seeing the gospel. You cannot pray God make them get saved cannot do that because God will not go against their, their will. But I can take the obstacles out of the way. If they have made decisions and it's given the opportunity for Satan to come in and blind them, Father, I take authority over Satan in that person's life. The blindness that is on them, I take authority over that. That that blindness would be removed. That they can see clearly. They may not decide to go the right way, but they can see clearly this is, this is what's ahead. So just as a veil prevents me from seeing the gospel uh, to keep me from salvation, other veils in my life will keep me from, from what the Word of God 
intends to set me free to see and to walk in. Just as that veil on the gospel gave an opportunity for Satan to blind them to certain things, just know if you allow other veils in your life, it will keep you blinded. Now you'll say, well, you're, you're saying that this is true, but I don't see it. Of course not. You're blinded if you allow the veil in your life. You don't see it. It's right there, but you don't see it. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. You may be in darkness, but God in that darkness can command light to come forth. In the darkness, He can command light. Understand this. When you find people that are in darkness, you can pray, Father God, in their darkness, bring out that light. It's right there in the Word of God. You can pray it that way. It is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. If they're in darkness, God can still command light to come and shine on them. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He has shown this in our hearts. It, is, it was shown on Moses' face, so his skin glowed, but this is shown in our hearts. Put this in your outline. We can behold the light in the face of Jesus, which is better than the face of Moses. It is a light that does not fade away. Because the new covenant doesn't fade. The old covenant faded away. The one under law. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of our power may be of God and not us. This is the excellence we have in this earthen vessel. Though you have an earthen vessel, though there's mortality to it, you have an excellence that is there, and that is that is this light shining down upon your heart, reflecting the image of God. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And this is speaking about people who have taken the veils in their life and removed it. If you want to just pull that verse out of this context and just say, well, God, I thank you that these things speak of me. I thank you that I am not perplexed. I thank you that I am, though I am hard pressed on every side, I am not crushed. Don't think for a moment that this verse is promising you that if you are hard pressed on every side, you will not be crushed. Because if you put veils on and block yourself from seeing truth, you will not walk in the truth that will set you free and you will get crushed. But if you will do what is necessary to take the veils and remove them, allow the truth of God in your life, operate in that truth, nothing that comes against you will be able to crush you. That's what he is saying. Don't pull that out of context. We are perplexed, but not in despair. I may not know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but I've asked God for wisdom and that wisdom is on the way and I am not in despair because I know that wisdom is coming. I may be persecuted, but I am not forsaken because the devil will try and sell you in the fact once persecution hits, God has forsaken you. God has forget, forgotten you. God has left you on your own. Uh-uh. He has not because I have removed those veils out of my life. Now let's just go over here to uh, some of our readings. If you're reading along in our chapter a day, on Friday we were in Luke chapter 22, 24. 
Look over at verse 16. Pull that up on the screen for us if you would. Luke chapter 24, verse 16. We're going to look at three verses that if you were reading with us, you read through these. But their eyes were restrained so they did not know Him. This is the eyes of the people that Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus. And it said their eyes were restrained so that they did not know Him. They could have known Him, but there was a veil that was put up so that they did not know Him. Verse 31, it says that their eyes were opened. Then their eyes were opened and they knew Him and He vanished from their sight. So this veil was not put on by the devil. It was put on by God to keep them from seeing what either they were not ready to see yet, were not prepared to see. Now, the, the way that this came about was simply because who among those that followed Jesus believed his words that he would be dead for three days and on the third day rise? Who among all his people that he taught believed it? There wasn't anyone. So you see, they rejected what was true and accepted what was false. What they accepted was, Jesus is dead. Our hope is gone. We thought he was the Messiah. But he's not. Jesus gave them the truth on it. The truth is, Son of Man will be persecuted, beaten, crucified, and dead for three days. But on the third day, he will rise again. He taught them this. Peter, pulled, Peter heard it, pulled him aside. He said, don't, teach, don't talk like this. He heard him teach it. Heard the words. Don't be teaching this. Don't be going out like this. This isn't right. And Jesus doesn't do that until they first get the revelation that he is the Christ. Once he got that revelation, it says he then from that day forward, he taught them about his death and resurrection. So it was more than one or two occasions he kept teaching them about the death and resurrection. They rejected what was true, which gave room for false to come in. Now that false didn't show up until the day he was crucified. They rejected what was truth. Nothing filled in that void until Jesus was dead on the cross. And then, what does the devil come in and say? Put all thy time into Jesus. He's dead now. You wasted your time. You thought that was the Messiah. He wasn't the Messiah. He died. Now they received what was false. And they were in despair. They were in despair because they didn't let the truth come in. If they would have let the truth come in, they wouldn't have been at home preparing uh, spices, getting things ready to go over and finish the burial. They wouldn't have done any of that. They would have said, you know what? Let's just have a, let's just have a worship service. Let's just worship God for three days. There's absolutely nothing we need to do. Because in three days, he's going to be risen. Because saved themselves a whole lot of effort. They didn't do it because they rejected what was true. And there was a veil over their eyes. They saw the very thing that Jesus said would happen. The Son of Man will be turned over, delivered up, betrayed. He'll be beaten, nailed to a cross, dead and buried for three days. But on the third day, he, he said all of this to them. They saw it unfold. They saw Judas betrayed. 
Jesus. They saw it. They were in the garden when Judas did it. They saw him beaten. They saw him just as he said it. How many of you, the light would finally turn on then? At least we hope so. But it didn't because there was a veil over their eyes. They could not see. There was a veil over their hearts. They could not believe. They did not. They saw these things happen, but in their heart, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe the words that Jesus had. And they went their own way. Verse 45 of Luke 24. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. All that time they had their scriptures in their, in their heads, in themselves, but they didn't understand them. And so he opened their eyes that they would see it. You see, sometimes God has us shielded from certain truths because one, I'm not ready for it. I'm not in a place where I'm ready. The disciples were not ready for the teaching of Jesus being dead and buried for three days. Not until they knew he was the Messiah. And then that teaching came out and then they, they didn't handle that very well. But God will keep me from seeing certain truths. He did that intentionally with the Pharisees. He taught in parables so that they wouldn't see. And they had reasons for that we're not going to get into here now. Let's finish this up. So I put in your outline this. Gave you some room. You write down whatever you want to. What veils are hindering you? By veils, we don't have that veil about salvation. We're here today in church on Sunday because I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that we're here to worship him and serve him. So that veil is gone. But there's some other veils that can come in. You'll know some people, probably not here. We've talked enough times about end times, but there's an end times veil that comes over people. Some people have a veil. They don't believe in the tribulation. And so if you begin to approach them with things about the tribulation, what do they do? I don't believe in the tribulation. That's not how it's going to go about. And they'll begin to spout off what they believe. See, they've accepted, accepted something false. According to Paul, they accepted something false. Therefore, they are not going to accept something that is true. Even on the millennial kingdom, there are many weird beliefs on this. Some people believe we're in it now. Some people believe it never will come about. But there's an end times veil that can come up. And whenever I read scriptures that talk about <clears throat> the tribulation, and they talk about the rapture, there's a veil that's there and I don't see it. There's a healing veil. How many of you know people? Well, healing is not for today. And you can go up and speak to them about what healing is for today. I've been healed. Well, I don't believe that healing is for today. I believe that just happened for you. And you know that you can try and talk to them about healing being for today. You don't get anywhere. They refuse it. Spiritual gifts. There's a veil about that. How many of you know Christians who don't believe that spiritual gifts are for today? They believe the Bible has taught that spiritual gifts would end. And yet the very scripture they use to support that tells them differently. But they can't see it. For you, it's clear. You can see it. It's right there. Why can't you see this? They have a veil over. There's a worship veil. For some people, they believe that worship is singing the first, second, and fourth verse of a hymn. They don't understand worshiping in the Spirit. 
They don't understand even the use of courses. Some people believe, well, courses are not for today. If hymns were good enough for Paul, they're good enough for me. Of course, no, those hymns were written in the days of Paul. There's a fellowship veil that comes up. I don't need church. How many know people that are in a fellowship? I don't need other Christians coming around, exhorting me, helping me out. Now, I know some people that are in places where they don't have access to, to a, a word church and a good congregation. But they, they make, they make a effort to connect with people. They don't just stay isolated. We're talking about the people who just, well, I'm going to stay here in my house. I don't need any other Christian. That's not right. You need to get out there. Get around other people. There's an offense veil. Once offended by a brother, sister, or minister, we can no longer receive anything from them. How many of you have some people in your life, you got offended by them, and you shut down as soon as they come up. You have a veil now over their, over your life for them. They can't speak anything into your life because you have a veil. And all that you see is through that unforgiveness. That's not a good place to be. Don't pick up that offense veil. Because once you have that offended part picked up, I won't receive things from them. I won't give them anything. And I just, you, you, no longer are you reflecting the glory of God. When you were in their presence, you were angry. You're mean. You're nasty. That's not the presence of God. You're not reflecting anything in the mirror there because you got that offense available. And it's kept you from seeing the actual image of God. And people seeing that image in you. Remember some time ago we spent a good bit of time on the, in the Wednesday night service looking at people that were in the um, leprosy area. How my Leviticus spent so much time on it. Because before you put, put anyone outside of the, the gates of the city, before you treat them as an outcast, unclean, you've got to make sure that they go through a procedure. And you've got to be thoroughly checking them out. Don't just get offended and write somebody off. That's not going to be good. There's a safety veil. How people respond to the virus, for example. What I need to do to, do to stay safe. And there's a veil for that. So you got people even just with the, with the virus. Oh, everybody's got to wear a mask. Everybody's got to do, do these particular things. And uh, I got surprised. I went over to a customer to deliver a bunk bed on Friday. And um, I had a conversation with the with the wife, and we we talked about the nonsense that was going on with all the mess stuff and stuff like that. And so I don't even think anything. I'm just unloading stuff and going in. And the husband greeted me. He had a mask on. And he said, I understand that while you're working, you can't have a mask on, but do you mind if when we're conversing that you have a mask on? I said, that's what you want. I'll go out and put it on. So I, I keep one in the truck. I keep one in the truck. I don't know about you, but for me, it's in a hidden compartment. I do that for a reason. I walk by my neighborhood or run around the neighborhood and stuff like that and I see a whole lot of people who for convenience have hung it on their, their mirror. I don't do that because I don't want to keep seeing it. I don't want it before my eyes. If it's before my eyes, the whole purpose of people wearing masks, I think, is to keep reminding people virus, disease, be in fear. I'm not going to do that. So I got it, I got it tucked away. I got to go reach in and get it. There's a political veil where we set God's word aside 
If you want to know if you have a political veil in this, uh, it's really easy to be able to tell. One party can do no wrong. If you believe that a Democrat or a Republican can do no wrong, you probably have a political veil on. Because I'll tell you what, there's wrongs on both sides. Some people think that one party can only do things that are right and the other party can only do things that are wrong. That is an even heavier veil. Here's another way you can tell. If something evil is done by the party you favor or someone in that party you favor and you hear about that evil that they did, your mind immediately goes to someone on the other side and what they did. If that's how your thinking is, you have a political veil. You cannot see the truth. Don't trust yourself. That's a veil. This is like Adam and Eve. Remember when Adam was, was guilty? What did God say? What did you do? What me? The woman. And he turns to the woman, what did she do? What me? So we can't accept things on our on our own. It's because of the veil. See, the veil is there to protect that delicacy, the delicate nature of what is false in your life. Because what is false has a delicate nature. It can be undone very quickly. Once the truth comes in, it falls apart. And so the only way that it can be defended is to make sure that you ridicule and write off anything that would be done in the truth. We become blind to even the evil that is promoted by these, by these people. You look at somebody... I, I get amazed. I bring her up all the time. But Nancy Pelosi, the evil that is on her. There's, I don't need a, the gift of discerning of spirits for, for this. But there's a lot of times where the deception that is on people is so clear and so evident you can see it. Before they even open their mouth, you can see it. I don't mean you perceive in the spirit, you see into the spirit realm. That's, a, that's another gift. But you can, it's there. It changes their countenance. You ever seen someone who is um, who has uh, they favor uh, a homosexual tendency? It changes how they talk. It changes how they act. They don't they don't go in the, the same way. It, it changes them. When certain spirits get on people, it changes them. And when you see the changes, I don't have to see into the spirit realm. I know. This is what's going on there. But you have a woman like that who can be so caught up with set, talking about her spirituality and how she's a member of the Catholic Church so forth and does so much to promote the death of babies. You cannot have the heart of God and promote not only the death of babies through abortion, but even the ones that were intended to be aborted but were born alive and people in New York and people who was the other state of, uh, was it Virginia who applauded when laws were passed that those babies that were born alive would be able to be killed they actually execute live babies because the parents intended now the guy down in uh, Virginia he was saying, well, we're going to do what we can to make the baby comfortable while the parents decide 
what to do, whether the baby lives or dies. How in the world can you get to a place where that is anything that is legal? But that's what they'll do. You have candidates that will promote this. All you got to do is look at, the, look at the platforms. I would rather side on a platform of someone who's going to stand for the right of the unborn Someone who's going to stand for the right of freedom of worship. Someone's going to stand for the right of the Second Amendment, even in the right to bear arms, because it's in the Constitution. Someone who's going to stand for the right for us to worship together freely. Someone who's going to stand for the right for a smaller government and not one that is big and oppressive. These are things that I'm going to, I'm going to be, and I can keep on going. I got a list of about 12 different things. Do you find somebody who, who hits all of them? Well, folks, I got somebody who's pretty close to most of them. And I stand with that. But I see people. I don't know how it's Christians. And we can vote for, for people who do everything in their power to make sure that the oppressed stay oppressed, that the babies are killed that their freedom is there to kill them, and now they're even turning their targets on the older people, the older generation, and to see that they would go. That goes back to, the, to uh, some years ago when they were passing all the stuff with medical care, and they were asked, direct question, would my mother, who was old, this lady was asking the question, would my mother, who was old, be able to receive this medical care? And the answer that was given to her was, well, maybe a pain pill is better to make her comfortable. But I don't know that that procedure would be good. So I'm not voting for that sort of stuff. For me, it's pretty clear cut. But I will tell you this. I can, I can see evil on the Republican side, and I can see evil on the Democrat side. And if somebody comes up and says this Republican was guilty of something, prosecute him. I don't have any problem with that. I don't need to defend them. If I see somebody on the Democrat side, prosecute them. Because I'll see evil on both sides and I'll see good on both sides. By good, I don't mean I see perfect people. Because I know that there aren't perfect people. But I see things that are better. And I see in others, other spots. Now, you don't have to agree with me. And I won't argue it. I'm not going to spend time. I don't, this is one of the reasons I don't spend my time arguing on these, these matters. Because if you argue with someone who has a veil on, they can't see it. The only way that you can get that fixed is revelation. And I'm not the one who gives revelation. I can't argue with you into revelation. God gives revelation. We were having a discussion at the prayer time we had on Friday up at our house with the people that were there. And this is, this is something that you can do. If you have people that are caught up, how many of you know people who are caught up in deception? They have a veil and they've got some deception in their life. Yeah. All right. This is, this is how you, you can do that. You, if you argue the point, if you talk about the point where the deception is, you will entrench them in the area of the, their deception. They will become firmly established in their deception. The more you talk to them about it, the more you try to enlighten them, the more you give them words of wisdom, the harder they're going to be. Here's what you need to do. 
and it, it may hit you out of the blue, but here's what you need to do. Talk to them about areas in their life where they have revelation from God. Spur up where there's revelation. Because if you stir up the areas where there's revelation, you stir up the light. You stir up the Spirit of God. And then when they move over into those areas where the veil has brought in deception, they're better able to discern on their own, oh, there's a difference. When I walk over here, and it's different from when I was talking about this stuff over here. You see, then revelation can come. So don't, don't sit over there and argue, argue people into believing whatever it is that you want them to believe on any of these things. You're not going to be able to argue them into believing that healing is for today or that the spiritual gifts are for today. Just talk to them about areas where they've received light, where they've received revelation. Stir that up. Keep stirring that up. Ask God, God, give me revelation on how I can speak to them, about what areas I can speak to them on, and get them sharpened on the things of the Spirit. Then when they wander over into those things of the flesh, those things where deception has, has crept in, they'll be more keenly aware. When you see somebody who has a veil and they can't see certain things, don't cut them off. Don't just be quick to just say, well, I'm not going to receive anything from you. No, there's, there's still areas where they can, they can see some things. Get them moving in those areas where they're hearing from God so that they can understand this area I'm not hearing from God, I'm hearing from something else. Help them understand. Operate in love, operate in mercy. Remember, you're here to reflect the very image of God. And that's, the, that's what we want to do. Reflect the very image of God. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that you have given us light. That we walk in the light of the Word of God. There may still be some veils that are on our life. We're not aware because they're they're on us. It's how we always see things. But you can help us to get through it. Just as you revealed to people in the Word of God when a veil was there. And you helped them see the truth. I thank you that you do the same with us. There is a difference in walking in the light that comes from heaven and the light that comes from the kingdom of darkness. He does present himself as an angel of light, and for those who receive it, it seems as though it is light. But it is darkness. It's just another form of darkness. And we need to er eradicate that darkness from our life. For as long as I hold on to that and keep that veil going, there are things I will not be able to see, things I will not be able to understand. But once it is removed, oh, the freedom that comes to us. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I thank you, Father. I praise your holy name. For you have not rejected us when we have brought in what is false. And even passed on to others the false things that we have attributing them to you. Father, you've been patient. You've been kind. You've been merciful. 
And just as you were with us, we will be with others. Because if we get into that place of judgment, we get into that place of condemnation, we are pulling a veil over our own face. And we are being hidden from the glory of God that we are to reflect. But thank you for your revelation. Thank you for your willingness to allow us this ministry of reflecting who God is to a world that has rejected Him. I give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Over the years, I've had a number of people who have shared with me some things in this area, just in the political veil area. And I appreciate those who shared these things. They said, I used to think always this this particular direction. They would state what the direction was. But it said it was like the light all of a sudden turned on and revelation came to me and I understood. You may have people that have accepted darkness, maybe something in the political area, maybe it's something in one of the other areas we listed. And you feel feel for them, your heart goes out to them. But operate on the principles we went over here today with, with those folks. Walk in mercy, walk in love, walk in kindness. Stir up what is good on the inside of them. And you can enact a change. A change that you want and certainly the change that God wants. So we get ready to to go here, we had one praise report that Lissy turned in. She likes turning in praise reports. That her brother's birthday finally came and that he has a good birthday because I love him, she said. <laughs> and that neat. Well, bless some people before you get out of here. Look for opportunities to reflect the very nature of God to the people that are around you. You are the mirror that people will see. Have a great rest of the day.